this is me, Caleb. Um, I'm going to be reading you Acts 17, 1 through 10. When they had passed through Ampolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As this custom was, Paul in, went into the synagogue, and three Sabbath days he, re, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks, and, and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started to riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas, in order to bring them out of the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city's officials, shouting, These men have caused trouble all over the world. Have they now come here? And Jason has welcomed them into his house. They are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that this there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and city officials were all thrown into turmoil. They made Jason and the others post bonds and let them go. As soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Hello, my name is Tim Kreber. Uh, for those who don't know me, I'm one of the leaders of Trinity Heights Church. And uh, today we're starting a new series on uh, the book in the Bible called One Thessalonians. Over the next few weeks, you'll hear from uh, a few different members of our community on their reflections on different aspects of the book. And uh, today we're going to just start with a bit of an introduction to the book. But first, let me start with a, a personal reflection. Uh, many of you will know that as the COVID pandemic kicked off last year, uh, myself and my family, through a, a, a crazy series of events, found ourselves living in a place called Cornwall in rural England. Uh, it's a place where my uh, family, my English family, have a lot of roots and where my mum still lives. And it's been quite a change uh, from Manhattan, as you can imagine. And I've been reflecting recently on some of the ways of life that we've experienced uh, while being here. So check this picture out. It's a Cornish country lane, quintessential Cornish country lane. It's got a beautiful view, the large hedges, uh, but there's a catch. It's only wide enough for one car which is awesome until you meet another car coming in the opposite direction. What do you do then? And this scenario is not uncommon either. It's amazing how many large trucks make their way down these lanes. So what do you do? Well, you have to accommodate one another. Anticipate, navigate around, slow down, and ultimately somebody has to back up and make way. Now, at this time of year, we start to see a huge increase in the number of tourists in the area. And uh, it's probably fair to say that they're far less adept uh, at the art of accommodating other people. Uh, check this picture out. When two people intent on ploughing through without concern or accommodation of the other meet on a Cornish lane, it tends to end badly. It's a small thing in some ways, navigating small country lanes in a car, 
but it's something I've reflected on in terms of how it impacts how we live in community more broadly. Let's read this quote from a theologian called Stanley Harawas uh, in an interview that, that he made about peacemaking. The interviewer asks him this question, where else do you see violence manifest itself? And here is Stanley Harwa's response. Driving, he says, and the way in which people treat each other on the road. I think driving is one of the most morally interesting and perhaps revealing ways of relating to one another that we have. I have to trust you to stop at the stop sign. Well, that's asking a lot. My wife and I were on vacation in Western Scotland once on the island of Mull and the roads were all single lane. If you saw another car coming, there were pull-offs and the roads were all, um, there were pull-offs and you had to decide which car would pull off first. I think it led to a sense of cooperativeness among people on the island that I would call peace. Really interesting quote. To build off this quote, uh, I find it funny that the, the theologian had a had a, uh, a quote that related to, to single lane um, roads. Uh, but to build off this quote, here's, a, here's another quote from Wendell Berry. He says, a community is a mental and spiritual condition of knowing that a place is shared and that the people who share the place define and limit the possibilities of each other's lives. It is the knowledge that people have of each other, their concern for each other, their trust in each other, the freedom with which they come and go amongst themselves. And as I've reflected on this, the experience of driving in Cornwall has become a more profound illustration about what it means to be in community, the need for accommodation and of, of thinking about the other. So now you may be wondering, what has any of this got to do with our new series on 1 Thessalonians? And hopefully that'll become clear in a moment. But first, let's back up a bit and take a look at the context of 1 Thessalonians. The Apostle Paul is one of, uh, he's on one of his wandering journeys across the ancient Roman and Greek world. He travels from city to city with his trusted friends, Silas and Timothy. They live among the people and they share the good news of Jesus. We catch up with, with the story at the start of the book of Acts in chapter 17 that Caleb just read for us, where Paul comes to the city of Thessalonica. Now, Thessalonica in those days was a really important city. It was strategically located on a critical trade route between Europe and Asia. It was the regional capital uh, of the Roman Republic. It had a sizable Roman military um, posting. And uh, the city was governed by a Roman magistrate or, or ruler. And uh, the city was made up of, of Greeks and Jews, a melting pot of theologies and cultures, gods, alliances. So Paul, Silas and now Timothy enter the city and begin to live among the people. And a large number of Jews and Greeks were persuaded by Paul's message about Jesus. And they begin to proclaim Jesus as king. 
And the people within the city saw this change of allegiance to Jesus as a threat. Acts describes it as creating jealousy. So what do they do? The people cause trouble by whipping up a riot and then accusing Paul of encouraging people to shift their loyalty away from Caesar and to a new king, Jesus. This was, of course, a savvy move. Anybody perceived as a threat to the ultimate authority of Caesar became a problem to the Roman authorities. So Paul's friends were arrested and accused of defying Caesar. And after they get bail, they encourage Paul, Silas and Timothy to leave the city to flee under the cover of darkness to avoid capture. And if you keep reading in Acts uh, chapter 17, you'll see how this group in Thessalonica was so disturbed by what Paul was doing that they pursued him as he travelled to other cities in ancient Greece. Later on in Paul's trip, it's likely that then Paul sent Timothy back after this abrupt um, departure from Thessalonica. It's likely Paul sent Timothy back uh, to Thessalonica to check in on how those fledging believers were doing. And Timothy then returned from Thessalonica to Paul and gave him an update on how on how the church in Thessalonica was doing. The joy that these people had in the hope of Jesus and the extreme suffering and persecution that they were experiencing. And it, it was likely this report that was the trigger for Paul to write a letter to those friends and new believers in Thessalonica to encourage them. So this letter, which is now called 1 Thessalonians, was very possibly the first of Paul's letters that we have documented in the Bible. So as we begin to read its pages, we have to keep this unfolding story of, of and drama in our minds behind this letter. Were, were the deep relationships and, and concern and love for the community in, Thessalo in Thessalonica. So there's a couple of things that really stood out to me as I, I read the start of this letter. The first was the impact of people switching their allegiance from proclaiming Caesar as king to Jesus as king. And how this Jesus serves as an example the future hope that grounds the community's way of life together. And then the second thing was how Paul made a point of emphasising how he and his companions lived when they were with the Thessalonians, following Jesus's example. This gives us an example of what characteristics we should see in, in the community that proclaim Jesus as king. So let's dwell on each of these just for a moment. Um, First, the impact of switching allegiance from Caesar to Jesus. So in Acts 17, as well as in 1 Thessalonians, we read about how the people switched the, their allegiance, or some people did, from, from Caesar to Jesus. And this change of allegiance brought about resistance, opposition, first to Paul, and so he had to flee the city, and then to the new believers in, in Thessalonica. We read in, in Acts chapter 17, they, the, the people uh, are accusing Paul, Silas and Timothy and saying they're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. What is it 
that switching allegiance to a new king, or why is it switching allegiance to a new king, caused such an issue? We read then in 1 Thessalonians, um, Paul saying back to the, the, the believers in Thessalonica, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. In spite of severe suffering, you welcome the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And then we read on and we read, uh, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Proclaiming Jesus as king is, is not a neutral thing. It, it changes everything. Proclaiming Caesar as king is conforming to the way that things are. It is proclaiming your hope lies in the republic and its might to relationships built on power, the haves and the have-nots. It's submitting to, the, to, to this vision of life. Proclaiming Jesus as king inverts all of that and destabilises it. It's proclaiming in the hope, uh, in, the, in the life of Jesus and his return. It is to live the life of love for others rather than for ourselves. It is finding freedom from the powers and the structures of the world that serve the haves at the expense of the have-nots. And it, it's precisely because the life of one proclaiming Jesus as king collides with the life demanded as tribute to Caesar that I think Paul and the early believers in Thessalonica experienced opposition, persecution and suffering. So this, of course, then begs the question for us. Do, do we, do, what, do, do I live a life that proclaims Jesus as king? Does it collide with and resist a life of allegiance to our modern day Caesars of, of money and work? consumerism and power politics, just to name a few. Let's turn to the, the second reflection uh, that I had, and that is the example of how to live in community when we do proclaim Jesus as king. In, in 1 Thessalonians, uh, we read about how Paul, Silas and Timothy lived when they were in Thessalonica, Paul is at pains to remind the Thessalonians how they lived while they were with them, how they sought to serve, support, encourage, walk alongside, love like a parent, work hard. They were not looking for the approval of people. And we read about how the Thessalonians followed their example and how this way of life was so distinctive and alternative in their day that reports about the Thessalonian church spread around the region. We, of course, live in a world that is very dominated by self-service. Our entire cultural orientation is around the self. What can we consume? How can we get what we want? It's dominated by the, the powerful who are able to use their privilege and power to fulfill self-serving needs. So let me return to my illustration about driving in Cornish country lanes. 
to me, it illustrates the, the choice we have about how to live and relate to our community. Do we live out a posture towards our community that consumes without regard for impact and consequences? Are we going to occupy a space intent on getting what we want? This is the way of life when we proclaim our modern day Caesars as king. And it resembles the image of those two cars crashing. Submitting to this posture towards community doesn't end well to, for anyone. Or, or do we follow Paul's example where proclaiming Jesus as king changes every aspect of how we live in the communities that we are part do to serve to love to invest to invest in and not to extract from to come alongside to support to encourage to share the very essence of our lives it requires of us the daily practice of reversing up just like accommodating the, the the way of peace uh, as Stanley Harwas describes it as we accommodate one another on the single lane road in Cornwall so to wrap up I'd, I'd really encourage you as we kick off this series on 1 Thessalonians just this week to, to take a read of Acts 17 and of 1 Thessalonians and and ask yourself this where is your allegiance? What can we take from the pages of this ancient letter to the Thessalonians about what it means to live in community when we proclaim Jesus as king? Do we dare to have the love of Jesus transform how we live, subverting the me-centred way of living to one characterised? by love and peace. Let us pray. Dear Jesus, we come before you and we acknowledge that so much of our world is tied up with uh, a posture towards others that is about what we can get. And we acknowledge that so often we find ourselves serving the modern day Caesars of, of work and money and status and privilege and recognition. And as we read these ancient words from the letter that Paul wrote um, to the Thessalonian church, I just pray that you would give us a vision of what it means to live as we proclaim you as king, that we may be a blessing an encouragement, a support to the communities of which we are part and that we may be people who bring peace. In Jesus' name, Amen. <laughs>